0: Welcome to the LookFar podcast, Voices from the Wild. Join LookFar Conservation as we talk to conservation leaders from around the world about their work, their life, the challenges they face, and the successes they've had. And people started asking... You know, hey, I'm working on this reforestation project in, you know, southern Mexico, and I'd like to know what species should be here. Someone somewhere else started asking similar questions. And so the lab was trying to figure out well, well how do we answer all of these questions? And Restore was really the answer.
1: Today on the Look Far podcast, Clara Rowe from Restore joins us and stopping by the Look Far recording studios virtually is Dr. Tom Crowther from ETH Zurich. Tom, thanks for stopping in. Hi, Scott. Yeah, fancy seeing you here. (laughs) Exactly. So, Tom, you work with Clara. I do, yeah. Mm -hmm. She's a pretty impressive uh, young lady. She's the new CEO of Restore, this company, this organization that's going to be coordinating restoration projects all across the globe and she's the person that's got to be responsible for all of that action so it's yeah we we couldn't be more happy to be working with her and sort of taking that leadership role and for those who don't know tom crowther is the head of the aptly named crowther lab at ugh zurich whose research on planting trees and on ecological restoration really serves as the backbone of a lot of restores capabilities so it's awesome that tom could come by and kind of help us introduce clara yeah not to mention the fact that scott was heavily involved in the origins of the crowder lab which actually got us to that place in the first place so uh yeah it's all coming round about one big virtuous loop alex uh you had a chance to listen in detail uh, in uh producing and editing the discussion with clara I mean, I think she just brings such a great voice, different perspective to blend in with all these uh, scientists and all these researchers to really apply all of that knowledge uh, out in the world.
2: Yeah, well, I think she has such an interesting background that brought her to this place. Um, so she has such a unique perspective and voice when it comes to you know, conservation around the world. So listening to her is very different than listening to anyone else on the podcast.
1: All right, Tom. Well, should we get right into it? Yeah, let's get to the good stuff. All right. We're here today with Clara Rowe, the CEO of Restore, a new and super exciting data technology platform to help ecological restoration efforts on the front lines. Marlies Quinero from Look For Our Conservation is here today with me too to be my co-host, And the three of us are going to have an interesting talk about Restore, Clara's background, and what it means for restoration in the world today. Clara, Marlies, thanks so much for being here today.
0: Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having us.
1: All right, so let's dive right in. Clara, what is Restore?
0: Restore fundamentally is about restoration, ecological restoration. And that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But very fundamentally, it means bringing life back to land. It means protecting soil, it means protecting biodiversity, it means bringing back forests, it means bringing back wetlands, and Restore is this new science-based open data platform. Our mission is to be able to enable everyone, everywhere and anywhere to engage in local restoration and also to be able to connect with this larger global movement. And we're really designed to be this hub for restoration. So we wanna connect people and projects To the best scientific data. We want to be able to provide easy access to really high resolution satellite imagery. We want to facilitate connection and learning between projects. And down the road, we really want to connect this broader network that both directly and indirectly enables restoration. And that might be through technical support, it might be through funding. And, you know, Lots of people are at different stages in their restoration journey. (laughs) So, you know, you might just be starting. You might be thinking about like, what could I put in my backyard? Shrubs, grasses, trees that are gonna help bring back local biodiversity and and bring birds into the yard. And then there are communities that have been doing it for decades. You know, before I moved to Zurich, I lived in Tepoztlan in Morelos, Mexico, and they've been combating forest fires every year. And every year they have to think about how to reforest, how to restore their mountainside, how to protect their watershed. So there's this huge expanse of experience and we wanna bring that together. And we really want Restore to be this place for all of us. It doesn't matter whether you're taking that first step or you have been doing it forever.
1: And tell us about some of the, the users of Restore. What kinds of people, organizations, what kinds of problems are they facing?
0: So it's a huge range, which is one of my favorite things about Restore. We have about a thousand users on board at this point, and that is pre-launch. So none of them have actually been able to use the platform, and I take that as a as a really big mark of success. All the the interest that we've had so far. Those thousand users are working on restoration sites in about thirty thousand places around the world. Thirty thousand sites where they're doing restoration, and some of that as i say it could be an agroforestry plot you know a group of farmers who are changing the way that they are producing food in order to have more resilient farms and farms that are better for biodiversity or better for carbon capture we have projects that are natural regeneration so that can be as simple as fencing off an area where cattle used to come through and graze and trees come back naturally over time. Of course, we have many tree planting projects and that is an important part of restore, but it's also really important for us to be able to highlight that there are many other ways that restoration happen. We have, gosh, we have people who are working on wetlands and that has been really incredible to see, You know, how is it that we can restore wetland habitats, which are also incredibly important from biodiversity and carbon perspectives. It's just, a, it's a lot of different people doing a lot of different things.
1: Yeah. And and we should talk about this. So the launch of Restore, this is a new effort that's really just come together, gosh, maybe over the past year or so. And the public launch is when, Clara?
0: The public launch is scheduled for June 5th. So... We're we're feeling, we're feeling the pressure. It's really exciting. You know, we're in the process of getting everyone who has signed up for the platform already onto the platform with their data. We get to see how the platform reacts to so many people. We get to watch those users explore the data and figure out ways that we can better communicate about what is there and what isn't there. We take their advice. We pull that into what we're doing. So that's kind of what things are looking
1: like right now. That's fantastic. And then you're based in uh, in Zurich, which is where you are now in Zurich, Switzerland. And that's because RESTORE has a close relationship with ETH Zurich, the major research uh, university there, and the Crowther Lab. And I'm wondering if you could tell us more about the links to the Crowther Lab and its work and how it's informed and kind of helped lead to the development of RESTORE
0: yes absolutely so one of the things that's really important to restore is its foundation in science and that comes from our founder and our founder is tom crowther from the crowther lab at eth zurich as you said and you know really the inspiration for restore was all of the questions that the lab started to get as they published their science global ecological models information about biodiversity distribution about soils and people started asking you know, hey, I'm working on this reforestation project in you know southern Mexico, and I'd like to know what species should be here. Someone somewhere else started asking similar questions. And so the lab was trying to figure out, well, well how do we answer all of these questions? And restore was really the answer. So that's, that's the connection there. That's really how we were born and, and where the inspiration came from.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Lookfar has a, a longstanding relationship with with Crowther Lab, and that starts before Crowther Lab when it was just Tom Crowther. And in talking with Tom over the years about his own scientific interests, his research, and where he wanted to go with it, that desire to do more than just research and more than just to publish, but to find ways to translate it to on-the-ground Frontline, impactful work, I know it was always there. And I think he was delighted when the lab was getting all those requests, and then all of a sudden it became clear that, whoa, wait, we can't we can't possibly field these in a traditional way. We need help, we need a tool, we need tech. and then it became we need restore. And um, so it's it's neat to kind of see, and to me, a real a great example of of science at its best and the kinds of things that really good science can can do when channeled into what are complex, challenging, and highly individualized places. Not you know, planting trees in one part of the world, very different than planting trees in others. It's often quite isolating. And so the ability to provide information, provide data and analytical tools. But then I think, like you said, Clara, to connect all of these disparate efforts which by themselves might not necessarily be at some great scale, but when stitched together and linked through Restore, you're talking about something that globally can really have an impact in terms of atmospheric CO2, in terms of biodiversity protection. I mean, it's, it's remarkable what becomes sort of visual when all the data is integrated on a platform like Restore.
2: Can I just ask Clara to get a good idea? So I understand we have a thousand users. There's people on the ground planting trees, looking for information if they're doing the right job. Or, or, and so they go to Restore, they share all their data. And like you said, it's a merger of science and on-the-ground restoration efforts. So what can a user then, a tree planter, do on Restore? Because where does the science component come in? How, how does it help them?
0: Yeah, so maybe I can take you through sort of the process of what it would look like if you were an individual interested in Restore. And you could be a farmer, you could be a tree planter, you could be you with a backyard. And so hopefully that feels very relatable. So I choose an area that is of interest to me, an area where I'm going to work on restoration, and I can enter the platform and I can very simply draw a shape. The cursor allows me to draw a shape. And that shape can have, you know, as many sides as you like it, you close it off, that polygon is set, and Restore automatically calculates for you a number of characteristics about that shape. So it will tell you what species of trees and grasses and shrubs occur there naturally, it will tell you what the tree cover is. It will tell you what the tree cover could be and what the soil carbon is and what the soil carbon could be. And all of this information, it's really important to say is coming from global predictions and global predictions. Essentially what that means is, you know, scientists like the Crowther lab have compiled as much information as they can from actual people collecting data on the ground, taking soil samples, counting trees, doing forest plots. And they've put that together, and you know they've done the fancy magic that turns that into a predictive model that allows you to then predict where else trees will occur, where else soil carbon will be the levels that, that it is in these particular places. And so I say this because the data is not perfect. The data is based on these predictive models and you, as someone who's actually doing something on the ground, you probably actually can find out more details than we can tell you. And that's where we really rely on on local data. We can give you a place to start, but we really hope that as you dig into your project, you will feed back to us what you learn. And that allows those global models to get better over time. And so it really does become a feedback loop between what we can tell you at Restore and how that helps you start your journey and what it is that you're actually doing. on the ground and how you can help improve global understandings that's amazing
1: and clara here's a geeky kind of but sort of maybe a dumb question it's online so i think it's restore.eco e-c-o and after june 5th fully operational you'll be able to go and access it and do your thing or are there other sort of intermediate steps to to take
0: I'm scared to make promises because there's a lot that's going to happen in the next few (laughs) weeks. We have some goals for ourselves about the performance of the platform as our first users come on board. And we really want to see what their experience is and whether or not that's something that feels ready to make public. So on June fifth, we will either, yes, welcome all of you in the world onto the platform or we'll say, you know what, pre-register, you can have access, but we need you to, to, to send a site to us beforehand. And that means that we'll have fewer users and we're able to continue to look at that performance over time.
1: That's great. And I think in following along with some of the early development, that's such a smart approach because with any kind of data platform. You can spend all the time you want on development and design. But the fact is, is when it goes live, stuff's going to happen that might not be totally foreseeable or it might not work quite as planned and that the successful platforms expect that and are open to user feedback and then adapt and iterate going forward and get stronger and stronger with each go. And from what I've seen, that's kind of how you're set up and so you're, you're very modest and you're very smart to say, I don't want to make promises. We know that it's going to be fantastic. But even so, I think <laughs> it's the expected strengthening over time that I think is going to really reveal Restore's true capability and its and its ability to to impact restoration efforts positively. So it's this is really the early going. We'll have to have you come back in a year and and check in because the best is is very much yet to come. But I'm curious, when you do look ahead, what does success look like for Restore, say a handful of years on or on whatever time frame? What does that resemble to you?
0: So success is having a thriving ecosystem of users who are getting value from the data, who are getting value from each other and who are sharing data back to us. And we've really focused on the bottom up. We've focused now on the people who, as I say, are doing restoration now, the people who either individually or in groups together with governments are working on projects. But we know that those groups don't exist in a vacuum. We know that those groups are getting inputs maybe from nurseries. We know that they're impacted by government subsidies. We know that they're funded by donors or investors. We know that they're looking for certifications. sometimes. We know that they're looking for drone imagery. And so we wanna build up on Restore that entire ecosystem that is impacting indirectly or directly the ability to manage land sustainably. So success is having everyone there. I'll dive if you'll bear with me with this, you know, a little bit technical, but for me, really interesting next step that is key in order to build that ecosystem that I described. And that is right now Restore is really built for people connected to the ground. But the next step for us is how do we ensure that everyone can make a profile on Restore? Everyone can create. A user account for themselves, talk about what they do, and therefore connect. And so that's the next step that anyone comes on board. It doesn't matter whether you're managing land or not.
1: Well, that sounds cool. I think I'd enjoy spending time on Restore than on LinkedIn or Facebook or something like that. So uh, you have to let me know when it's re- when you're ready for me because uh, I'm in. Well, Clara. So we're we're all going to keep our eyes open and. Um, I'm not exactly sure when this podcast will air, but it'll be before I think June 5th and certainly available long after that. So folks listening now and on into the future, uh, do check out restore.eco and, um, and see all what's going on. But I want to pivot a little bit because you are the uh, you're the CEO of Restore. You're the first CEO. And they were looking, you know, the Crowther Lab and others that have been involved in helping develop it, Google Creative Labs, you know, and elsewhere, they were looking for someone like you. And so I thought, well, let's, let's make sure that we also talk not just about Restore, but we talk about Clara and about her background and what led her to this moment. So I'm wondering, you know, you, um, and I just learned this while we were chatting right before we uh, pushed the record button, you grew up in Costa Rica. I totally did not know that. Let's start there. How did that come about?
0: I have adventurous parents <laughs> who, you know, were willing to to move to a very rural part of Latin America at a time when, you know, I think they sent faxes home every once in a while to send updates on on the family, but they really were the motivation for going somewhere new and exploring a new community. And so I grew up in the woods. I grew up with howler monkeys and being able to, you know, watch birds out the window. And it was a really, really incredible place to be. It was also a place that I watched go through the growing pains of development and a place where conservation was highly valued, but a place where tourism was putting pressure and agriculture was putting pressure on those resources where people constantly were striving to figure out what does it mean to have sustainable development in this place. And so that was, was a really important thing for me to see and live from a really, really young age.
1: Yeah. You've gone on and done a lot of interesting things up until Restore. But also went to a really interesting, kind of cool, off the beaten path high school. And I'm wondering if you could tell us about that. And in particular, you know, how that may have played into some of your later life choices, the work you did before Restore, before Zurich in in Mexico and and everything. I mean, you, um, you know, we're we're used to people getting around and living lots of places here and kind of the look for our network. And you're certainly well in the middle of that, if not toward the top. But high school? I mean, how did that reflect on everything else that you you ended up doing?
0: Yeah. So the last two years of high school, so just after we moved back from Costa Rica, I went to the Putney School in Vermont. And it was board, a boarding school, which I think I really didn't understand the impact of until my parents were driving away, and I was suddenly like, "What? You're leaving me here? That's that's not allowed." Um, but it was this incredible place that had a really strong work ethic. You know, all students participated in some you know form of work at the school all year round. I worked in the barn a lot. It was a working dairy farm, and that was sort of my favorite part of it. And so I would do a.m. barn, morning barn, 5 a.m., milking cows, shoveling shit, excuse my language. And... I I just loved it. I loved being in it. I love getting to feel like I was a part of something. It was a school where there were a lot of artists and it was also, you know, it was on a farm, it was in a rural area, it meant that I got to continue to be outside a lot, which was really important to me. And it really trusted students, you know, it trusted students to be independent and make decisions and figure things out for themselves. And I think that was was a really empowering experience.
1: And how did growing up in the tropics of Costa Rica prepare you for the winters of Vermont
0: <laughs> just as you'd imagine uh, yeah those were some frigid mornings it's right on a hill too so you know you're walking across and you get that whip of wind and
1: yeah yeah for sure for sure and then on from there um including maybe your most recent stop what makes for a good background to to run then a tech company focused on ecological restoration?
0: (laughs) I may not be the most traditional path to running a tech company. I firmly believe that data is not the thing that's going to save the world, but I'm really excited about the challenge of having to figure out how data can enable all of the people on the ground who I actually think will. But, you know, I've done a lot of things that connect me to people that I really believe in went back to Costa Rica after college to work in environmental education. And I spent a lot of time with sea turtles and students and tropical forests. And I did youth development work in West Africa and Cameroon. That work actually was technology focused, perhaps the only thing in my CV that was, and it was really focused on how can we empower students to be able to advocate for themselves and for the issues that they care about through technology. And so basic things like setting up a website and recording videos. And that was, how do I get to spend time with people that I really care about and think through with them ways in which we can all tackle things that we jointly care about? And I went on to focus a bit on sustainable agriculture after doing kind of this, this mix of development and education work. And that took me back to Mexico. So I worked for a nonprofit organization called Earthworm Foundation, and we partnered with companies who had made these big, bold commitments to responsible sourcing. Basically, you know, no deforestation in their supply chains, no exploitation of people. And they were trying to figure out how the heck to make that happen. (laughs) And... And usually they would get scared because of a Greenpeace campaign or something similar. And they would come to us and they would say, okay, we know we need to change. Like things are not going well, how do we do that? And that really taught me to think about the people within systems and the way that people impact systems and vice versa, of course, you know, people are impacted by those structures around them. But it gave me, I think the ability to sit with compassion with people who have a really different way of seeing the world, who perhaps value things in different ways than I value them, but who ultimately are a part of what it means to make change on the ground, a part of what it means to shift the way it is that that we produce food. <laughs> and so that that's how I have spent the last five years before I came to Restore.
1: You know, what's interesting about that is so I, I went to high school and college in the 1990s, and back then, I think the um, the main idea was if you wanted to do good in the world, social impact, environmental impact, whatever it was, you needed to have a .org. You, know, you needed to go the nonprofit route, and there were some early examples and and certainly some outliers, but the general understanding was if you were going into the business world, then that was a choice not to prioritize social impact or environmental impact. And I really think that's changed dramatically and fundamentally. Uh, we had Chris Tompkins on the podcast uh, earlier, who cut her teeth in the business world as uh, CEO of Patagonia. And from some of her remarks, and then from some other, I think, examples that that are out there, there's a discipline to being a business, to having to kind of compete commercially for customers, for users, and so forth. That is by no means it, exclusive of trying to have some kind of positive impact on the world, you kind of need both. It's not all one or the other. And so I feel like this blend you've had brings together three things, sort of this freewheeling, outdoor, entrepreneurial sort of wild spirit, meaning you're open to trying new things and seeing what might happen, a real dedication to doing what's right for the environment, doing good in the world, but then this ability to interface with anybody, with government, with NGOs, with businesses, and to try and kind of make it work and see who can bring what kind of capability to the fore and and put that to use in a way that has a desirable impact. And I mean, just in listening to you and in, and in watching you these past few months, year, year whatever it's been, um, all those threads seem to be there and seem to really come to the fore. And I think restore as a very socially and environmentally conscious business is kind of its best incarnation if it's going to succeed ultimately in operating at scale.
0: No, I I really hope so. That's that's the wish, the hope, the vision that we are bringing to that is how can we take the best of all of those worlds? How can we learn from all of those worlds in order to be able to create a place that that is for everyone? And that's what will allow us to succeed. And, and I think that maintaining the impact, maintaining the goal, and really maintaining the people on the ground doing this work at the center of Restore is what's going to be our North Star. That's what's going to make sure that we stay on track and that we continue to find solutions that are the most impactful
1: possible. Well, and Speaking of, just before we all got on to record this this podcast, Marlise and I were talking with Jerry Toth, who was our first guest on episode one, whose group Third Millennium Alliance attended a webinar that Restore put on. Jerry was raving about the webinar and about how, I mean, Marlies, maybe you can describe it better than me, but just about the way in which Jerry's organization and his work and and the level of excitement as, as a true kind of frontline restoration practitioner, just sort of salivating at the chance to, to use Restore in his work.
2: Well, he especially loved, The fact obviously you you showed how the platform would work and that was that's just amazing to also see the scale of it because it's hyper local, Like you say, you can draw a polygon, but then because of so many users and you already have so many hectares, it becomes this global platform and a global overview where you can then zoom in. So the tech part and the scale was very impressive at the same time. You made it very personal like you have all these people ready to answer all the questions and and your main question to all those restoration practitioners was share your information you know, we want to know your questions we need to know what you're facing on the ground what are your challenges how can we improve and that combination i think makes it so unique and it's free and it's open source it's just normally you would pay I don't know how many thousands of dollars for an expensive consultant to spend a couple of months working with you and you're just offering this. It's really, truly
0: amazing. I'm I'm really glad that that was the, the takeaway that came out of that webinar. And I think you know, th- there's a lot of movement in the restoration space, right? There's a lot of movement in how do we monitor, there's been these big commitments, the bond challenge. And I think that often the result of that is How do governments track their commitments or how do companies track their commitments? And of course, that's important. But I think often you lose the granularity of who's actually behind making that happen. That to me, the more I meet the people in our network, the more clear that becomes to me that that has to be what drives us. And we really want, you know, the way that we're going to bring people onto the site so we're going to have open office hours every day, an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. And we want people to drop in. We want them to get to meet each other that way. We want to be able to help them directly. We want to cultivate that sense of a community that is really for them, that is not for reporting. It's not you know, for the big picture tracking. That will come out of it if we do our job right, but that's not the core.
1: I think that's such a good point, which is... So much of conservation or just environmental policy writ large has been driven by these big global conferences and pledges or promises or targets or other kind of year of this and day of that. And I'm not criticizing those as, um, as bad. Clearly they attracted attention. They focused all kinds of efforts but in terms of achieving the desired impacts, I don't think I'm saying anything heretical when I say that they've fallen woefully and sometimes pathetically short, and that the real action, the real work that goes into building a better and more prosperous and sustainable future you know, has to happen at those intensely local levels. Uh, it's the people with dirt under their fingernails uh, and sweat on their brows that are, are the are people that are going to do this. And... Although those big kind of intergovernmental efforts are never going to go away, what I think is compelling about Restore is that now maybe the most conspicuous efforts out there aren't going to be speeches by politicians, but it could be the visualization of a network of thousands, millions of restoration projects and showing in aggregate, you know, what all is happening this very minute. The data is kind of there, but the tools and the network that can link that all together and Manifested in a way where it's intuitive to just an ordinary person, you know, isn't there yet? Restore, I think, can can do that, or at least a big part of that, and um, that's new. And I'm 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 curious how much that ends up changing the game. The more people see small instances of success, as opposed to big promises to do something that might be successful, how much does that does that inspire other very local efforts, but get enough very local efforts, then you know, that's, that, that's the planet.
0: I'm curious too. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious too. And I think one of Tom's really important intuitions as he thought about restore in the early days was how important it is to be able to see and connect in order to take action. And I think that's true with, you know, the big papers that have garnered attention in the media, counting all the trees. And I actually was lucky enough to be a co-author on that paper. We went to graduate school together. And so way back when, got to be a piece of that. But, you know, restoration potential, those have generated attention and controversy because they tell a really simple story. They, They capture people's imaginations and they allow people to really think about what things could be. And when we put numbers to something, there's real power in that. And I think the intuition of Restore as a place where you can see everything, you know, the imagery allows you to see almost every tree, it's that good, and you can see all the work out there, again, the intuition is that's going to change things, that's going to accelerate the movement. And we will see, of course, that's not alone, you know, that interacts with policy, that interacts with these many other forces, but we hope that that will be something powerful in the restoration space.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially observers of government these days. You don't really want to necessarily pin your hopes on political leaders all coming together and uh, doing something both visionary and, and practical at the same time. And so the way these kinds of platforms, the way these kinds of technologies sort of liberalize the system, open it to everyone, and allow unknown, unheralded people to come forward and maybe be the ones that have the next great idea. That it's not someone who's already won a Nobel Prize or whatever, but it's someone you've never heard about. But through Restore, through other platforms, but I think Restore has unique potential here. Those kinds of people not only might be aided along the way, but might have their work you know, made more accessible and more available to to others that can, that can draw on it, despite the fact that they're not at Davos or they're not speaking at the UN General Assembly or whatever, but they no longer need it. I mean, there's some really random stuff on YouTube that has like 8 billion views that I'm pretty sure doesn't contribute <laughs> all that meaningfully to society. So to have something that could share truly valuable, amazing, cool stuff is much needed and, and very welcome. But tell me, tell me, Clara, your team at Restore, how much are you doing in-house? Like how are you structured, organized? What's kind of the operational profile to sort of better understand beyond the website and the algorithms and everything? What, what's going on over there?
0: Yeah. So we're very much still in the process of growth and development. Right now, our core team is a combination of scientists, technology folks and people with experience on the ground who are doing the outreach and building the community. We rely really heavily still on our partnership with the lab and a larger scientific group that is advising us. And that's obviously incredibly key right now, will continue to be key in the future. And I hope that will become something that is more advising and less operational as we move forward and that that will allow them to have the time they need to continue to work on the science but right now there's an incredible team of data scientists that sit within the Crowther lab that are supporting the work that we do and you know we also have many many informal and formal advisors and so and that includes our partners at Google you know who of course built a lot of the platform and then generously handed that over to us and allowed us to take it. But, you know, we still really feel like we can count on their support and their insight. I, I'm, I'm thinking, I just, I know I've left someone out. There are so many people that we've received support from. And so that's that's kind of how how we're doing it right now is that small core team. And then all of these people who are sharing their support with us.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I want to I want to pivot to the the three questions and start to wind down. But before I do, I've got to ask. So, Lookfar has some very modest merchandise: t-shirt, coffee mug, really cool flag that we want to send to you as thanks for for coming on and sharing uh, this time with us and and telling us about yourself. Does Restore have any good merch out there, or uh, or is that is that are you are you too busy with doing the actual work?
0: no we don't but if anyone has good ideas about how to do that we would want you know cotton that's responsibly sourced that's important we want to make sure that you know we'd have to think about all of that but we don't we have we got nothing i don't even have a business card
1: (laughs) It's the pandemic you don't need business cards these days (laughs) Um, but uh, all right all right so We'll brainstorm on some responsibly sourced, non-crap uh, merch that you can give to people whenever we can all start start meeting more regularly again.
0: Maybe the Patagonia folks. Maybe that's where we need to go. We need to go there. We need to partner with Patagonia, and we need to think about how it is that Restore can link up there and promote the work they're doing with farmers.
1: All right. Well, you heard it here first. We'll be waiting for a, a call or an email um, once this airs. But uh, all right. So... For people who have listened to other podcasts, we came up at the very beginning with this idea of asking each guest the same three questions to provide a kind of basis of comparison across all the different diverse backgrounds and people and attitude and positions and so forth. But these are pretty painless questions, all things considered. So question number one, what gives you hope?
0: a hard question of course no hard and easy it really depends on the day and i will say probably most frequently the people that i know are doing the hard work on the ground and i you know the first person that comes to mind for me is someone that i used to work with in mexico she's from a small town she went on to get her phd and came back to that town in order to think about protecting and restoring mangroves working with the communities that she's neighbors with that gives me an incredible amount of hope and That's someone I've known well for a long time, but I see that in every Restore project that is on the network, people who are just working hard to get things done.
1: Fantastic. Clara, if you could look ahead 10 years, what's something out there in the world that you'd wanna see?
0: I'm gonna give you a general answer you're not gonna like, (laughs) which is I, I feel that we need to structurally value nature and people. That has to be built into how we work, how our societies work, how our governments work. And to get a bit more concrete, what I really hope that Restore can contribute is in the restoration space, in the space of land management, helping that valuation to happen better because we've made things more transparent, because we've made things easier to see, because progress is easier to track, because we're connected. So I hope that that's the little piece that we contribute to that bigger picture of really getting it right, in terms of valuing these things that often we haven't valued through the capitalist society we live in
1: Mm -hmm. something restore could actually play a role in in making happen so it's good you got the ceo job (laughs) that wouldn't have been as good of an answer last question is how can people help
0: so putting on my restore hat which is the hat i've been wearing mostly these days you can join you can join the movement we will be public soon, whether that's June 5th or shortly after, and I invite you to one, just explore all of the incredible projects that are already on that platform. Take a look at your backyard if you have one, or take a look at the national park near you and start to figure out what are the different ecological things that are driving this place. And. Maybe you'll be inspired to donate to a project. Maybe you'll be inspired to plant some new native species in your backyard. But we hope that that becomes a starting point for you as you think about the way that you're connected to land.
1: So really exciting as we get closer to Restore's launch. We're definitely going to be following along. We're going to stay in touch. Love to have you back, really. And maybe we can do it in person and not you know, just through a computer here to kind of check in, see how things are going. But really, Clara, I mean you are in an incredible position, a real chance to, to lead. And, you know, we are all rooting for you and invested in your success. And I hope, you know, if ever you need anything, if if LookFAR can be helpful, you'll reach out because we would be glad to do it.
0: Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Morlise. It's been really great to chat.
1: All right. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Clara.
0: LookFar is a US 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to defending wild and wondrous places and working with the people living in and among them. More at lookfar.org.